0: I was um, teaching a retreat last week at Big Bear. Four feet of snow in three days. It was a thing. But there were a couple of things that came up, a couple of... uh, teachings topics thoughts that kind of came up during the weekend and it was um, and I've been sitting with them ever since I've been reflecting on them and so I want to talk about them this evening and the first one was this idea of distraction how the how easily the mind becomes distracted and I think one of the the thing the reason that came up as I mentioned there was the all this snow last week and it was very easy to be distracted by a all the snow but be the fear that comes up and the what's going to happen four days from now or are we going to be able to get out and so the mind is easily distracted and um, I even had an experience around that I was found myself about Am I going to be able to drive down and blah, blah, blah. It's not my favorite. Driving windy mountain roads is not my favorite thing, even in July. So the thought of the snow was kind of really taking me away from um, what the experience of the moment was. And so the practice was to come back, come back, come back. And, And distraction is what happens all the time while we're sitting. And, you know, we're distracted by a sound or smell or a thought. And so it's really important to understand distraction and to maybe perhaps look at it a little more closely and so I always like to I always like to see what the Buddha may have said about different things um, that pop into my head lots of times there's nothing because it's just my head but sometimes there is and there are a couple of at least the words that are like for in this instance that are translated as distraction and there are a couple of lines Excuse me, there are a couple of lines from the Dhammapada, which is a collection of kind of couplets, really famous um, collection of couplets of the Buddha. And there are two, and it says, Just as a raging flood sweeps away a sleeping village, so does death claim a man of distracted mind as he continually seeks more and more of life's fleeting pleasures. Death drowns the unsatisfied man whose restless mind clutches for greater and greater pleasures. And I don't think it means that you are going to be killed because you have a distracted mind, but you are dead to this invitation to awakening because you're so caught up. You're, you're chasing, as in the, in the Dhammapada says, you're chasing pleasure, you're chasing the shiny objects, you're chasing, you know, um, what you want uh you're if it's unpleasant you're chasing the pleasant and we find that in our experiences it's like i want what's over there the grass may be greener over there i'm going over there and so it's really important to recognize that distraction because it's really uncomfortable when we're dissatisfied with this moment or we're we're pulled in in so many different directions and um what what came up a lot again that this when thinking about this idea of distraction is that um, many of you or some of you may remember that movie up that animated movie and in the movie there was a dog and the dog was like you know really focused on something and then all of a sudden he's like squirrel he's off somewhere else and that is such a beautiful description of what happens our mind is is you know Oh there's there's a sound or there's this or and then something shows up it's like oh I want that or I'm going over there and this practice is about coming back because when we're distracted we're swept away and we're unclear we're caught up in 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 what we think is happening rather than what is happen, happening and we're easily distracted by all the senses in buddhism And, you know, there's the the regular five senses that we talk about, sight, smell, taste, touch, sound, but also thought. We're distracted by thought. And I I, I know you know, have all had this experience where this thought comes up and down you go. It's like today's Sunday evening and Monday, all of a sudden the thing, oh, I have to do that thing before tomorrow morning or, oh, I have that meeting tomorrow or, oh, and you're down that path. So this, this practice is come back, come back, come back. And, and what another thing that's kind of tied to this distraction piece and it's sometimes it's why we're so distraction is this idea of habit energy these Thich Nhat Han talks about this a lot and um, I talk about it sometimes these implicit biases that we have we're kind of uh, tuned attuned to go in particular directions and um, there's the it's the habit of mind i talk about that too the habit of mind those those neural pathways that we have um created throughout our lifetime whether we're aware of it or not there's these these things these um these directions that we always seem to find ourselves in and what tignan han says about it is that our joy peace, and happiness depend very much on our practice of recognizing and transforming these habit energies. There are positive habit energies that we have to cultivate, like staying present or coming back to the moment when we find ourselves lost or be willing to let go of things that aren't helpful. And to, there are neg- excuse me, negative habit energies that we have to recognize, embrace, and say, yep, yeah, this is true, this is true, and transform as well, you know, and the energy with which we do this is mindfulness. It takes mindfulness. It takes this willingness to be present and this willingness to not be distracted because I'm sure each of you have had that experience. I know I have had it where some old habit energy comes back comes up, like this 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 well worn storyline. I had the used to have this habit of self pity. It was it was a very comfortable place to be. Oh poor me. Oh it was warm and I used to go there a lot. And then the recognition of starting to go down that pathway and go, Oh, this doesn't go anywhere. Maybe I'll just let maybe I just won't go there. we have the capacity to let go of those habit energies but it takes a recognition of them and a willingness to let go and a cultivation of mindfulness which is what we're all doing here when we sit and we practice we're recognizing these stories that show up i think one of the um a real for me one of the um, a real uh, I can't even think of a word a real in my face recognition of this distraction and a habit energy is is something as simple as if I was I remember doing yoga one time and we were doing balancing just a simple balance like Lifting one leg up and standing on the other one, not even very fancy, and doing it. And then all of a sudden, my mind started drifting away and I fell over because the mindfulness was gone. Back in the day, I don't know if many of you had this experience, they would tell you to, for posture, walk with a book on your head. That takes a lot of mindfulness. Um, Even walking from one room to the other with a full cup of coffee. that takes mindfulness because if you, all of a sudden, if you're not paying attention, you can just be sloshing your hands. So these are tangible e- examples of what the, can happen when you're not paying attention and when you're distracted and pulled those, those, those habits of mind that just take you away. And instead to cultivate this different way of being, of being present, being mindful. Thich Nhat Hanh also says that these, this energy has been transmitted to us by many generations of ancestors. So it's like kind of almost in our DNA. And we continue to cultivate it. We were taught these things. We were given these messages. They were passed down to us, whether verbally or rec- seeing people's behavior, seeing how folks treated each other, how people deal with different emotions in our families those different things are passed down. And so these this energy has been passed down by generations and we continue to cultivate it if we don't pay attention. It's really really powerful. You know, and we are intelligent enough to know that if we say this or do that, we'll damage let's say a relationship. Yet when the time comes, we say it or do it anyway. Why? because the habit energy is stronger than we are and it's pushing us all the time and this practice aims at liberating ourselves from that kind of habit habit energy you know it's this well-worn pathway that we don't even question i was thinking again again uh, about the um, last week on the retreat we had, because there was so much snow, we had these well-worn pathways. There was the path from the sitting hall to the, eat, the dining room to our cabins. And that was a positive pathway because you wanted to stay on that. You didn't want to drift off. Um, but perhaps there was a pathway taking you off somewhere else. You want to pay attention. You had to pay attention. Is this the right way? Is this the less right way? Is this, I love the um the the term that's used so often in buddhism is wholesome or unwholesome and it doesn't mean it's like nourishing or not nourishing skillful or not skillful wise or unwise so there's no judgment around it it's just like you know what if you take if you walk this way you're walking towards liberation if you walk this way you're walking towards more suffering more discomfort this trapped in that samsara that that distraction that happens over and over again and our habit energies show up in different ways for each of us we all have different habit energies it has has us keep our mouths shut when perhaps we should speak up because of whatever's underneath this this really deep um experience that we've had that's pushes pushed us in a particular direction or we speak when we shouldn't you know when am I going to learn to keep my mouth shut I don't know I keep speaking up or we run away when we should stay or we stay when we should run away or leave you know we react inappropriately we do things we don't want to do we're dismissive we're fearful we're angry there's um there's a story that I've told a few times that I find to be an extremely powerful example of this. And it's about a, a, a man, Claude Anshin Thomas, who is a Zen monk. Um, and he is American. He's a Vietnam vet. And um, he had a, a, an experience of, a lot of awful experiences in Vietnam but after he came back from Vietnam he was quite a mess and there was at some point it was suggested he connect or go on retreat or something with Thich Nhat Hanh and he thought that was extraordinary to spend all this time seeing Vietnamese only as the enemy and then go to uh A group of Vietnamese teachers to find some ease to find some a path away from his suffering and he talks about how he had this one experience in Vietnam that was so um awful that he he and his platoon I think it was walked into a village and there were some children babies crying and and right at the same time, there were those babies crying. There was this huge explosion, and a lot of people were killed. A lot of his platoon was killed. A lot of um, villagers were killed. And it was this really awful incident. And he says, this incident had been so overwhelming that my conscious mind could not hold it. And so this memory had remained inaccessible to me until that evening in 1990 when he met Thich Han. As I sat there looking at this monk, Vietnam just came rushing back to me. All the unaddressed, repressed thoughts, feelings, and perceptions. You know, I understood for the first time how the war had taken away my ability to have relationships. I had left my three-year-old son and his mother, not because I couldn't stand to be with them, which is what my suffering was telling me, but because I couldn't stand to be in my own skin. So we have these experiences and we push them down because they are unbearable. They're so painful, but they, 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 they create the atmosphere in which we live. And there's a, um, there's a quote from another book called Deep Diversity. And it says, emotions... Exist at an overt and a covert level. When we get angry, happy, sad, etc. The emotion has to break our personal threshold before we can become aware of experiencing it. They are unconscious before the threshold is reached. Without full awareness, emotions influence our behavior, thoughts, and choices. If we're not paying attention, all this stuff influences our behavior. It's like um, Claude Anshin Thomas left his wife and child because he just couldn't deal with this deep, deep—you know—those the children crying and the, it, it, all that pain that was that was so deeply buried. And it and it happens a lot of times when we sit on the cushion. You know, when I do intro to meditation classes, so many folks come and say, I'm looking for bliss. And maybe at some point there's bliss, but each of you know that when you sit and you close your eyes, a lot of times all that stuff comes because the distractions are gone. And so how do we hold all those things that come up Um, or even just one thing that comes up? and but the thing of it is is that you know a lot of times people get up and leave you see there's not a million people coming to this class every week and and if you've been coming to sangha for any time you see people come in and go and go and come because it can become uncomfortable and this practice asks us to sit with the discomfort which is why in early meditation practice um you learn to recognize when something is pleasant or unpleasant, or and if there's a if your foot falls asleep, don't just move. Can you be with it? If there's an itch, can you be with it? This simple teaching of being with discomfort of the body, like an ache or a loud noise or some annoying sound or smell, can you be with that? That's little because we're also being asked to be with these deep emotional things that we need to deal with because if not we're going to continually repeat these things that we don't know why we're repeating run when we shouldn't when we should stay or stay when we should go it's funny even Bruce Springsteen talks about this i i he wrote a memoir a few years ago which i listened to when i was driving a lot and he said as we age, the weight of our unsorted baggage becomes heavier, much heavier. With each passing year, the price of our refusal to do that sorting rises higher and higher. It becomes more and more overwhelming. It, be, it wears us down when we, when we are unable to sit. And we find more and more distractions, some of which may be not so harmful some of which may be destructive you know we may it just we're we're always chasing the shiny stuff so the question is or one of the questions is are you willing to sit with the discomfort or are you so stuck in the habit that you're willing to stay in the dukkha the discomfort and there's no judgment in this question. It's, it's just, it's a huge question, but there's no judgment in it. Because, you know, we, these habit energies are not our fault. I mean, they're, they're results of experiences of, of our lives. Um, but what we do with them is our responsibility. That's what we have to recognize sometimes we even um, get something out of them. Even though we know this is not a good thing, it's really difficult to let go. And it's funny, I found a, I found a, a thing in um, Joseph Goldstein's book, Mindfulness, where he talks about this. And he, he quotes someone, he quotes a, a, a Stephen Mitchell in his book, Parables and Portraits, and talks about these habits as uh, his lines of, about Sisyphus. Sisyphus is that person who is condemned by the gods to push a rock uphill for, for all eternity, which is annoying. Um, and he says, We tend to think of Sisyphus as a tragic hero condemned by the gods to shoulder his rock sweatily up the mountain and, and again up the mountain forever. The truth is that Sisyphus is in love with the rock. He cherishes every roughness and every ounce of it. He talks to it, sings to it. It has become the mysterious other. He even dreams of it as he sleepwalks upward. Life is unimaginable without it, looming always above him like a huge gray moon. He doesn't realize that at any moment he is permitted to step aside, let the rock hurtle to the bottom, and go home tragedy is the inertial force of the mind this letting the mind dictate you have to do it this way you've always done it this way or this is who I am I can't help it we get that like I mentioned self-pity that's so self, that wallowing self-pity brought it was warm it was comfortable it was miserable but it was familiar and it fed something it fed something so if we have these habit energies that we begin to uncover and recognize we also have to say ask ourselves are as i said are we willing to let go you know we hold on to stuff even though we know it's not helpful because it's all we do know and it's terrifying to imagine what it would be like without it that's a big deal i've had a lot of people talk i've heard a lot of people talk and i've had these conversations with people who say if i let this go then what because buddhism kind of pulls out the pulls the rug out from under you and says this what you think may not be so you know, a bunch of conditioning that kind of landed you where you are, but there's an opportunity to move in a different direction, letting go of those cherished ideas. Cherished, not because they're so wonderful, but because they're what we have, you know, but um, it can be scary to let go. It can be scary to let go. So, what is helpful is the teaching i have found is the teaching around renunciation and renunciation in buddhism is basically recognizing what is causes us this suffering causes discomfort is causes us so much misery these these habit energies this busyness perhaps whatever and this invitation is to let that go that's what renunciation is let go of what causes suffering causes dissatisfaction discomfort unease unhappiness but not just letting it go because you can't just let go into a vacuum because if you don't fill it up with something that thing is probably going to come right back because there's nothing in its place but Rick Hansen talks about um, when you m- are willing to let something go, you want to imagine what you would put in its place. What would be more beneficial? If you want to let go of 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 harsh talk, harsh self-talk, this horrible judgment that you... Uh, it, Harry, I think you're breaking up. Okay. I will, I will turn my video off, um, and see what, uh, see if that helps. Does that help at all? A little bit. Okay. Um, if not, I'll move to another room. Um, in fact, let me go there anyway. Um, so if you have, if you're letting go of something, let go of something, what are you going to put in its place? So I was saying if you have that awful, harsh, let's say self-judging, self-loathing that you're so stupid, you're just, you'll never amount to anything, what's wrong with you? I don't know if any of you can relate to any of these, you know, this harsh self-talk. Be willing to let that, I'm just using that as an example. If you want that habit energy, that habit energy of this, this awful talk be willing to let it go, and what will you put in its place? What would you like to experience instead? Saying no to what's unskillful and moving in a direction, intention. Because renunciation is part of wise intention in the Eightfold Path. So begin to move away from suffering and towards what serves you better. So instead of saying you're stupid, say Oh you just don't have the information right now. Or something like that. You know, begin to recognize if you if you have if you can't speak, if you if you need, to, you know, practice saying things that are difficult to say or practice staying when you usually run. It's again this practice is an embodied practice when you have that habit energy that starts showing up i bet you if you pay attention it shows up in the body which is why there's so much um emphasis on uh, being connected to the body or recognizing what's present in the body you know where do these habit energies show up And if you start working against your habit energy, it's really going to ramp up in the body. Maybe the belly gets all knotted up or the jaw gets tight or your fists, you know, ball up or your shoulders are around your, 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 your ears. Begin to recognize how those habit energies show up in your body and tend to those. Instead of the story tend to the experience of the body begin to soften you know this is also part of wise intention it's it's compassion it's goodwill it's renunciation tend to that soften to that challenging experience of doing something different of letting the rock go to use that sisyphus example again breathing into the challenge breathing into the challenge and do something different my my one thing that for me was of saying things that need to be said when I knew the person didn't want to hear it or I was afraid the person didn't want to hear it so I would practice and I would feel that that tightness in my belly and I would I, I wanted to shift the habit energy. I wanted to say what I needed to say because it was so painful to keep my mouth shut. I'd kept my mouth shut for so many years and I needed to begin to speak. And so I remember this, one of these first times doing it and just being so constricted and tight, but doing it anyway. Being, you know, breathing this gentleness, not giving play to the thing that says, get out of here but instead giving play to the thing that says stay and say it. That is the practice of moving away from these habit energies that are so deeply embedded and can be so painful. We use our practice. We use mindfulness. We use this effort, this willingness, We use the investigation, which is this simply letting in, not figuring stuff out, but what is this right now? Is this wise and skillful or is this taking me away, taking me towards more discomfort? And we can't always figure it all out on our own, which is why Sangha and and the company of, of wise friends is really important. Folks who have been down this path, have this experience that we can share um, with and say, hey, what do you think about this? Can I talk to you for a few minutes? Which is what's beautiful about Sangha. And what's al- it's also beauty. the beauty of, of uh, retreat or extended practice, even just a day or half a day. It gives us the opportunity to slow down and begin to recognize these energies and become familiar with them. Although I bet if you, if you thought about it, you, would, you could probably name a habit energy of yours that gets in the way of those old, old, well-worn pathways. And the good news is that there is a, a, an opportunity to create a new neural pathway and walk in a new direction. You know, Even if we don't know what it's like, all we have is the next step. We don't have to see the whole path out in front of us. Just the next step. And then when we take that step, then the next step. Um, And then maybe even finding some ease underneath that, which um, recognizing that it doesn't all have to be peaches and cream or lollipops and rainbows for us to be at ease. We can be at ease even with discomfort, you know. Right now, it's like this. Right now, it's like this. So, thank you. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible please visit marystankavage.org backslash support. Thank you.